Amen, church. How many ready to get into the Word of God this morning? Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to book of 1 Samuel. Book of 1 Samuel. We're actually going to read two passages this morning from um, the book of Samuel. Chapter 11 and chapter 16. The references are on your screen. And the title this morning is just simply Resolutions. Resolutions. But of course, I'm not going to be standing up here uh, attempting to inspire you to make a resolution for this coming year. Um, I'm actually going to be going in a totally different direction this morning. First Samuel <clears throat> chapter 11. Say amen when you find it. First Samuel chapter 11. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 15. We're going to read both these passages, and then, of course, we are going to pray again. 1 Samuel 11. I still hear some pages. I'm going to give give you some pause. All right, let us read, follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 11, beginning with verse 5. It says, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabeth, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces, and set them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come... Out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, I would think. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabeth Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. I like that. By the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came, messengers came and told the men of Jabeth, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabeth said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp, in the morning watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who have survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Now turn over with me to chapter 16, verses 4 through 13. 1 Samuel 16, 4 through 13. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. 
the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Aminadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then said Samuel to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. By your hands with me, let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. I pray that you give me the strength. And Lord, I pray that you give me the wisdom, the knowledge, and a heart filled with understanding that I may share publicly what you have revealed to me in secret concerning these texts that we have read here this morning. Father, speak to us clearly and loudly. Help us to understand what your will is for our lives. Help us to understand what it is you want us to know this morning. But more importantly, give us hearts to apply these truths to our hearts and to our lives. We love you. And we praise you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. As I stated, the title this morning is Resolutions. Resolutions. Traditionally speaking, uh, when we think in terms of um, resolutions, they are kind of our way of attempting to bring about change to our lives. And most of you know here this morning that every year during this time, it seems as if millions of people make At least one declaration over their lives during this time. The problem is, they don't usually work. Right? How many of you this morning, from time to time, be honest, have made a declaration of resolution during this time of year? Come on, be honest. Be honest. They don't usually work. And the reason is because definitive change. Listen to this. The reason is because definitive change requires fundamental purpose and determination. We cannot simply wish change to happen. When was the last time you set apart some time, some personal time, perhaps some just simple time of reflection, and, and you, maybe a difficulty in your life, maybe just some simple, honest, general change that you wanted to experience in your life, and for whatever reason, it didn't come to pass. When was the last time you thought that just by simply wishing change to come to pass, or anything else for that matter in your life. Just simply wishing something different for your life, and you were surprised that it did not materialize. Or you were unable to realize that particular change. 
what's the fundamental truth about a situation like that? Why, do, why is it that we cannot bring change to pass simply by wishing it? A lot of effort actually is required. The type that becomes evident when we know we have exalt, exalted, <clears throat> exhausted all reservations and yet continue to press forward. And not the type that enables us to throw in the towel when time gets tough. Therefore, rather than inspire you to make a resolution for this coming year, I want you to think about what it means to be resolute. How many of you have heard that word before? What it means to be resolute. The Bible actually defines resolute as decisive, to be decisive, or to be purposeful, to be single-minded, or to be determined. To be determined, to be resolute. And I was thinking about this this past week as I was going through my notes, and I realized that to be resolute actually coincides with a biblical doctrine called faithfulness. It's about maintaining faith throughout our lives. How many of you know here this morning that God desires for us to be faithful? And if I were to ask you, what is the opposite of being faithful? Uh, Unfaithful, right? Or the opposite of being resolute. The opposite of being single-minded. And in the case of this particular passage, when we're actually going to get into it this morning, when we talk about Saul, King Saul, you're going to find out that this man really did not have a relationship with the God of Israel. He was actually going through the motions. And in effect, he was just simply a religious man. So the, the opposite of faithfulness as Christians is to be religious. And we're going to find out this morning that King Saul was, in effect, a religious man. I want to just skip some of this. I want to move on. Hopefully, Dave, you can follow along with me. So I want, you to, I want us to consider two Bible personalities here this morning. Number one, we read a passage, with, a passage this morning regarding King Saul. We're going to talk about him this morning just a little bit. And then the other person, we're going to talk about King David just a little bit as well. They were both kings of ancient Israel. And the goal of this message this morning, at least with regard to King Saul and King David, the goal is to contrast them in order to gain insight about how to live a resolute life. Or how to live a faithful life. Or the theme last year. How many of you remember what our theme was last year? To be intentional, right? To be intentional worshipers. And I think it's a fitting subject for this time of year. More often than not during this time of year, especially during the new year, we like to make a resolution or two, right? Some of us want want a little more money, maybe a new job, maybe a new relationship. Lord have mercy. We, we, but if you're married, you can't put aside your, your spouse, all right? You're stuck with that person. Um, Samuel, uh, I'm sorry. She's, your fo- she's yours forever. <laughs> she's yours forever. Um, and by the way, I have um, a couple of friends from Philadelphia. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, but my, buddy, my buddy, Fred, Fred, can you stand up? Turn, turn, take a bow, bro. Take a bow. Notice, notice, notice he's an Eagles fan just like me, right? I, I kind of, I was going to make the decision of putting my jersey on this morning. By the way, the Eagles played today, right, I, against the Giants. 
I, we're going to win. We're going to win the division. And then we're going to win the Super Bowl. How about that? <laughs> Linda, Linda, did you just, did you just diss me? She sneezed when I said they're going to win the Super Bowl. So, no, they're here and they are newlyweds. Right? They're newlyweds. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> so, thank you, Jesus, for them. So, we're talking about King Saul and King David. And the very first thing that I want to do with regard to these two men is I, I, I want to kind of establish a base point and a context for each king. I want to talk about some, some things very, very particular or some specifics about each one. And I want you to think about the theme, resolute. What it means to be resolute. What it means for you and I as believers in society today, especially when we know that the world is pounding on the doors of the church. How many know that? Hey, come on, let me see. Let me see your hands. Work with me here. The, the world, in all respects, is pounding on the doors of the church. The world would have you and I adopt its values. The world would have you and I adopt its philosophies, its standard for how you and I are to live out our lives. And if you and I are not careful, one way or another, through subtle means, how many know that the devil is very subtle? He is very astute. And if you are not careful, if you lower your guard, if you lower your defenses as a believer, or if you put aside the standard of the Word of God, for some reason or another, you are negligent in that regard. And from time to time it happens, right? Any perfect people in the church here this morning? No, we're not perfect. So from time to time we get wearied. From time to time we get heavy laden. And sometimes it gets really, really difficult to bear the burden of this cross. It gets heavy sometimes, right? Come on, let me see your hands. It, it gets heavy sometimes. The, it, the fact is, the, the, the biblical life, the Christian life, is actually the most difficult one to live out. And the world would have it so that you and I relinquish, dismiss, or denounce Biblical values and adopt whatever values Satan would have us adopt in our lives. So that what? In the end, we are compromised looking exactly the way Satan would want us to look like. Compromising our biblical truth. And the Bible has a lot to say about this particular subject. And today we're going to contrast King, King Saul with King David. And we're going to see a difference between the two of these men. Extreme difference. King David was a man of God. We're going to learn that here today. But King Saul was somebody who was just simply going through the motions. And we have to learn a couple of things here today. We've got to learn how to be men and women of God and how to avoid certain things that are not ideal for you and I as believers to live out. So, I want you to turn with me and I want you to see, well, not, not yet. Let me, let me share this with you first. Uh, King Saul... According to the Bible, he was a Benjamite. He was the, the son of Kish. And he was, in fact, from the smallest tribe in Israel. The Bible tells us, look at 1 Samuel 9.1. I'm not going to read it. just want you to look at it as a point of reference. Uh, 1 Samuel 9.1 gives us a brief description of King Saul. It says that he was handsome. Like, like me, right? Like me? Handsome. He, he was... Linda, be careful. Are you laughing again? 
The Bible says that he was handsome, and it even, it, it, it even says a thing or two about his height, that he was actually taller than all the men in Israel, right? Not that that really means anything, but I want you to bear in mind his appearance, his appearance, because we're going to talk about that just a little bit. And for those reasons, the description, for, the, for those reasons, and, and many other reasons, look at 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. For those reasons, for his appearance, his stature, his height, his prestige, his affluence, I should say. Because the description also tells us that he came from a what? From a wealthy family. He came from a wealthy family. And then ultimately, he was chosen by the people. Now, when you read the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 14 and 15... We actually read that God was the one who picked him out, but he picked him out according to the standard of the people, according to the politically correct and acceptable standard. The people wanted a king, just like all the other nations that existed in the world during that time. If you remember the Bible, the instructions that God gave the nation of Israel before they exited Egypt, they were told what? They were given uh, particular instructions about avoiding the standard of the world that existed in the land of Canaan. In other words, he says there are going to be a lot of people. There's a culture, a diverse culture, in the land that I'm giving you as an inheritance. It's a land flowing with what? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm giving it to you and, cho- and to your children as a perpetual inheritance. Inheritance, but I want you to avoid the culture that exists in the land. In fact, he went so much further. He said, I want you to destroy those nations. And then finally, one day, he rose up a man, raised up a man by the name of Joshua, who conquered the land. One king after another was destroyed. Some nations, according to the word of God, were absorbed into the kingdom of Israel. Those who assimilated, right? But for the most part, the kings, the people were destroyed in the land. Why? Because of the evil culture that they were perpetuating from one generation after another. In fact, the Bible actually tells us that they were sacrificing their children unto their gods. Sacrificing their children unto Baal, unto Moloch, unto Tammuz, unto you, you name it. They were sacrificing their children. Can you imagine if something like that were, were existing in society today? If it were allowed to happen today, I, I know it actually exists in some places, some remote places. Of, yeah, do some reading. Pick up the voice, pick up the magazine, The Voice of the Martyrs. Subscribe to it. So you can listen to what is happening out in the middle of nowhere in the Middle East someplace, in some remote places in Pakistan and in Indonesia. The things that are happening in places just like that, things that are still alive and well. The point is, That God gave them instruction to stay away from the culture that existed in the land. And and, and yet, that's the exact thing they did not follow through with. In fact, they wanted to be just like the surrounding nations. They wanted a king just like everybody else has a king. And God figured, you know, all right, you, you want a king? I'm going to give you a king according to the standard that you have. So God selected King Saul. He was tall. He was handsome. He was wealthy. He was affluent. He probably had all these resources. He was the ideal man 
from the secular or from the religious perspective. God gave them. You know what, Linda? I'm going to have you removed. This, this is my message, Linda, please. This is my message. Somebody give her a mic. So essentially, God was rejected. How many know what type of, what type of kingdom existed or what type of um, government, I should say? What type of government existed in the land of Israel? Come on, take a stab at it. Was it a democracy? Was it socialism? Was it communism? What was it? Huh? It was theocracy. So God was ruling over them. He was their Lord. He was their God. But they didn't want that. They wanted a tyrant. They wanted someone who was going to govern over their lives. Someone who was going to compromise himself and ultimately compromise the nation in more ways than you and I could imagine. David was actually quite different. David was God's choice, according to the word of God. That is 1 Samuel chapter 16 Verse 1. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. It also says that he was from the tribe of Judah and that he was born where? Where was he born? Come on, scholars. He was born in Bethlehem. Concerning him, it also gives us a description. He was young, but he was also handsome. Then it goes on to say that he was ruddy. I had to look up that word, right? I had issues. How many of you ever seen a movie depicting King David? How many? Let me see. Let me see. I, I, I have a DVD and I was kind of, I watched it a couple of times. I kind of upset because I never pictured King David as a redhead. And he's depicted as a redhead and with all this red hair all over his body. And I kind of didn't like that. Right. Until this past week, I was reading the Bible and the word is ruddy. And what in the world does ruddy mean? R-U-D-D-Y. What in the world does that mean? He was reddish in color. It's what it means. King David was a redhead. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, God. Lord, I forgive me. I take it all back. I take it all back. I take it all back. I had something against those directors in those movies. My, my David was no redhead. He was like me, right? He had a full head of hair. He was tall, dark, and, <laughs> and that just wasn't the case. The Bible also tells us that he was a shepherd, that he was a shepherd. He had a, 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 a special type of heart. The Bible says, and I mentioned this already, that he was a man after he was a man after God's own heart. And it was for that reason that God chose David to be king over Israel. He wanted somebody he wanted to place someone on the throne who would honor him. We know that according to the biblical account, King David was not perfect, not by a long shot. Right. He got himself in trouble in more ways than we can imagine. But, but he's, he was just like you and I. God doesn't choose people because, we are, because they are perfect. He chooses us because he knows we are going to honor him. Because we are going to worship him. Amen. I, I think there's a message of hope there for you and I here this morning. Sometimes we, we, we kind of dismiss the idea that God wants to bless us. How many guilty of that? Right? I put both my hands up because I'm guilty of that. Sometimes we don't necessarily fit the mold, the politically correct mold. No, God is incapable of using me. There's no way that he can possibly use me. And we think along those lines and we miss the mark because we think we're not like so-and-so. And the reality is that God doesn't look upon our outer or 
external appearance. He doesn't look for any external qualities when he chooses to use us. He looks into our hearts. Ultimately, he was referred to as the apple of God's eye and the greatest king ever in Israel. I know that 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 that, that, that was a brief highlight, but I want you to I want you to consider this. I want you to turn to um, uh, first Samuel chapter 11. I want you to look at something with me. We're going to talk about King Saul here. And then we're going to talk about King David. And what I'm going to do now is that I want to get into highlighting, ha- highlighting their characteristics. Okay, now, now bear in mind what the theme of this message is, is to be resolute. The word is resolute. And think about the qualities that you should have as a believer and the qualities that you should not have as a believer. Right. We're going to do a little homework this morning. We're going to we're going to do we're going to turn this into a Bible study. How about that? We're going to turn it into a Bible study and we're going to go through one verse after another. We're going to jump all over the place. And I want you to bear with me, right? I want you to follow along with me. Read the Bible for yourself because God wants to what? He wants to transform our lives. He wants to make sure that he has a people left in society today who are willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, let's consider King Saul. He was the type of person that we do not need to emulate in no way, shape or form. Uh, and he wasn't. The, the fact is that he wasn't always a bad guy. He wasn't always a bad dude. He, he was at one point someone who did, in fact, attempt to honor God. And in first Samuel, chapter 11, verse 13, he actually gives glory to God for the one victory that he had. The story that we read concerning him in 1 Samuel chapter 11 is about the Ammonites and the, the impending invasion by the Ammonites. And they outnumbered the children of Israel. They were about to invade and they were about to destroy the nation of Israel. And God raised up King Saul for that particular reason and then some. King Saul was actually able to achieve a major victory. Why? Because according to 1 Samuel chapter 11, the Spirit of God was, it was upon him. The Spirit of God was upon him. And it was a great victory that day. And, and he did hear something that he was supposed to do. In verse 13, look at that. Look at the verse with me. 1 Samuel eleven thirteen. 13. <clears throat> he said, but Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Now, you would, it would have been ideal for, for King Saul to have continued with that spirit, with that devotion, with that consecration. But unfortunately, he did not. Now, I want you to look at a couple other things here with me. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel fifteen twenty four. This is what we're going to start bouncing around, so bear with me. Okay? If you love the Word of God, we're going to have an opportunity to consider some things here this morning. 1 Samuel, chapter 15, verse 24. It says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their 
voice. What's it saying about King Saul in that particular verse? Quite frankly, it's saying that he was a coward. Put that down on your notes. He was a coward. He was raised up by God to lead the nation of Israel. And instead of doing so, he compromised the word of the Lord. He knew exactly what the instructions from God were. He knew exactly what he was supposed to carry out. But instead of doing so, he actually put, put God on a balance together with the nation of Israel. And he chose to accept the people, or rather to lean in the direction of honoring the people as opposed to honoring God. What does that say about his faith? It doesn't say too many good things about his faith, right? I mean, it was a major compromise. When Samuel confronted him, he essentially told him, listen... <laughs> I'm sorry, but he's going, to select a, he's going to select somebody else. He's going to select somebody who's willing to honor him. Now think about how that should apply to you and I here today. God is not asking us to be perfect, but he is asking us to be valiant. Is it possible to be valiant as a Christian today? Is it possible? Of course it is. Not in our own strength, in no way, shape, or form. But in God's strength, we can be valiant, Right? What did Paul say to young Timothy, or not to young Timothy, uh, to the Philippians? Chapter 4.13. Don't look it up. Anybody know that verse? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The fact is, there are going to be trouble in life. Is the sky blue over your head every single day? I, I think not. In fact, we are actually promised difficult times. The Bible goes on to say in the New Testament that everyone who names the name of Christ will suffer persecution. We're going to have some difficult times. In fact, in, fact, in Isaiah chapter 43, it says, when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the fire, when. So those are absolute terms. The sky is not always going to be blue over our heads. Your responsibility and mine is to lean upon God by the Holy Spirit, and He'll give us the strength that we need. Look at 1 Samuel 15, 25 through 30. 25 through 30. It says, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Let's pause right there for a moment. Wasn't he attempting to get it right? I think not. I think it was just lip service. Remember, Samuel was a prophet of God. He was sent to give Saul this particular word about his kingdom having been taken from him. Why? Because God looks into the heart of man. And he knows what our, what our true motivations are. He knows exactly where your heart is right now. now. Now listen, he knows that you're not perfect. He knows that you are saved, if indeed you are here this morning. But listen, he doesn't expect you to be perfect. He just expects you to live according to his word. To be remorseful when sin is committed. But to live according to his word. And God knew exactly what was in the heart of King Saul. God knew that King Saul had rejected the word of the Lord. Where am I? And Samuel turned to go away. 
Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Can you, how would you feel if God said something like that to you? Huh? Like a, like a little pea, small, maybe even smaller than that. And also the glory of Israel will not lie. Well, I think I just messed that all up. Let me, let me do that again. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. For he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. And return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. That I may bow before the Lord your God. He was just simply going through the motions. Look with me to 1 Samuel 17, 10 through 11. 1 Samuel 17, 10 through 11. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. What's he saying? What's he saying about King Saul and his character? He was fearful. He was fearful. Now, you, you, you got to remember what the theme are. The theme is. I'm going to keep bringing it up. It's to be resolute. King David had rejected the word of the Lord. He essentially rejected God altogether. He brought compromise to his life, compromise to the nation of Israel. And as a result, he was afraid. And they did not advance. You think God was not already prepared to destroy the Philistines through Saul? Of course he was. But King Saul wasn't prepared for that because of the condition of his heart. He was afraid. Next, he was jealous. Look at 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. 18, 5 through 9. He was jealous. It says, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And they were coming home when David returned from striking, when they returned from striking down the Philistine, the women, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another, and they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens. Ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. He was jealous. He was jealous. God essentially took the spirit, his spirit off King Saul. Placed it upon another. And King Saul was jealous. Look at 1 Samuel 19, verse 2. 19, verse 2. And Jonathan, Jonathan told Saul, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. What's it saying about King Saul there? That he was 
murderous. He was murdered. He was ready. He was preparing his heart. He was harboring anger and evil and hatred in his heart for one of his very own. God was doing a great thing in seeking to restore the nation of Israel, restore the compromise that King Saul brought to the nation. And he was angry. He was jealous. And he wanted to kill David. Look at 1 Samuel 22, 6 through 9. 1 Samuel 22, 6 through 9. Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gebeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him or around him. And Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give ear, give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son, my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doag, not sure if that's a correct pronunciation. Then answered Doag, the Edomite, who, st- who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. Well. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. What's he what's it saying here about Saul? It's saying that he was vengeful, that he was vengeful. And just think in terms of how his his heart was going from bad to worse. He couldn't get over himself because his heart was in the wrong place. And lastly, look at first Samuel 28, three to seven. First Samuel 28. Three to seven. Now, now Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Geboa. When Saul saw, when Saul saw, when Saul saw, (laughs) sorry, I'm amusing myself with my own accent. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. He did not answer Saul. Why is that? Because he was faithless. He was faithless. We're talking about being resolute here this morning. We're talking about being children of God. To be faithful children of God. And, the, and, and again, I hate to sound repetitive. But I just think it's, it's important to set the tone. To set the theme. Or rather, to be honest with the theme here this morning. Society is not easy to live in nowadays. And it's just so easy to compromise faith today. It's just so easy. All you, you don't even have to go outside anymore to have your faith compromised. All you have to do is turn on the television. Right? 
How many of you actually live without a television? One, two, you don't have a television? You want to watch a game in your house? Come on, Pastor Roy. No, none at all. Okay, that's good. I was testing him. I have been to his house and I did not see a television. And, and he's not the only one. I've gone to Tim Lansing's house on many different occasions. I just didn't see a television over there. He has one? Or maybe it's a recent thing, a gift. He, he's always had Okay. Anyway, the, the point is, the point is simple. And, and you know it. I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. That all you have to do is turn on the television. In fact, you open up your cell phone. You get a pop-up here and there. You check your email. Nowadays, it doesn't matter what email provider you have. They're selling your emails. There was a time when AOL, I still have AOL, right? How many have AOL? Right? Some, a few of us still left. A few of us diehards, right? We, we still have AOL. And listen, there was a time when it was the only, only email that did not sell off your stuff. I never got spam from, from AOL. Never, never, never. Until recently, this year. It's like, really? Is it a Kali thing? I don't know what it is. But now all of a sudden, I'm getting junk from everybody. From everybody and then some. And you open up, if you open up the wrong thing, you're in trouble. In fact, before I came over here, before we moved here to, to California from Philly... I made a mistake. I was sitting in the living room watching the football game on my laptop and a pop-up came up. A pop-up, simple, simple pop-up came up. I made a mistake. Instead of Xing out, the arrow didn't go quite high enough in that corner and I clicked on the pop-up. And you know what happened? My screen started scrambling. And eventually I see this like matrix thing all over my screen and it started eating up all my files, everything. And then guess what happens? A bright red screen comes on and with the words, if you are experiencing difficulties, call me. Right? And there was a phone number in bold letters. Like, really? Somebody hacked my computer, right? And then they're offering their services. It, it, go figure, right? So you don't have to leave your house to compromise your morality. You, you, you open up the wrong pop-up and there goes a naked man, a naked woman, a naked something, right? Some freakish stuff. You don't have to leave your house. That's why this message is important. I think it's time for God's people. And I know that you get it here in this congregation. But I just think that it's time for God's people to rise up and to thrive in their faith. I, I, I don't believe for one moment. And I know some of you know that this is like a constant theme of mine, because it is, because my heart grieves when I read the word of God and I do so every single day. I hear the voice of God. I mean, our God lives. Amen, somebody. Our God lives. And how often is it a reality in your life? Don't don't put your hand up. But how often is there a reality in your life? That you lose sight of the fact that God lives. Because the burden becomes so overwhelming. The issue, the drama, the trauma, the bills, and the, the people at work. And somehow we lose sight of the fact that God lives. Right? So this is my aim here this morning. God lives. Let's talk about King David for just a little bit here. Because I'm looking at the time. And I understand that I have to move on. King David, as I said to you already, he was the ideal man. He was God's choice. 
He, he had a, he was a man after God's own heart, a man with qualities that we should all have. And I want to go through some verses here so that you can see what King David was really made of. But I want to establish, I want to start first. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. 1 Samuel 16, 7. One of the things that I said to you already as you're looking for that passage is that God looks in the heart. Man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks into the heart of man. He looks into the heart of man. And, and, and before we read that, I want you to remember something from the passage that we read about King David. I mean, yes, King David. You remember that I stated that the people chose King Saul, right? God selected him. But he selected King Saul because that's what the people wanted. He kind of, he kind of, God selected somebody who would fit the mold. Somebody that they actually wanted. Somebody they would actually appreciate. King David was the exact opposite. However, I don't know if you caught this when we read the passage about King David. When Samuel went to Jesse and invited Jesse and his sons to a sacrifice. What happened when Eliab, the oldest son, stood in front of Samuel, what happened there? But what happened first? Samuel said, surely this is God's anointing. If it had not been for God intervening, Samuel would have anointed Eliab. And why is that? Why is it that you and I default from time to time to determine that a good man... A good man is recognized by some external quality or maybe an eloquent voice, etc. Why is it that we default to that? And we do, in fact. The fact is, God had to intervene because, King, uh, because Samuel, the prophet Samuel, was also sort of limited with regard to vision, with regard to the purpose of God when choosing a king. And God had to intervene. And ultimately, King David was anointed. He failed because he had rejected God. This is about King Saul. He failed because he had rejected God. In fact, he really did not know him. He was everything the people wanted in a king and everything God despised in a man. I just wanted to back up and read that before I moved on to King David. Now, 1 Samuel sixteen 11. You're there? It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look upon his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Now look at 1 Samuel 17, 37. 1 Samuel 17, 37. We're going to talk a little bit about the characteristics of King David. 1737. You have it? Say amen. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. What's the saying there about King David's heart? Was he, able to de- was he able to kill the lion and the bear on his own strength? Right? No. That's, that's easy, right? In no way, shape, or form. 
it's, this verse here is highlighting King David's commitment to God. His commitment to God. He knew that there was no strength in and of himself. He knew that he had to depend upon, depend upon God for anything. Not just having killed the lion and the bear and, and any other animal that he probably killed. That the Bible doesn't tell us about. He was committed to God. Look at Psalms 18.3. We're going to spend the rest of our time in the Psalms. Because King David wrote most of the Psalms. And it gives us an indication of what his heart was like. Psalms 18.3. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I know that you got a roast in the oven. I want to get to your house just as badly as you do. Oh, yeah, that's right. Communion. I was testing you, Brent. Testing you. Psalms 18.3. It says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. What's it saying about him there? Saying that he was, he was reverent. Look up on your screen. He was reverent. Psalms 31 verse 9. Let's read that. It says that he was respectful. 31 verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. He was respectful. He knew that his sustenance came from the Lord. Let's read, uh, let's just keep moving through these. Um, Psalms 18, did we, isn't that what we just read now? 18.1? No? 18.1. It says, I'll read them quickly. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. That's what it says. I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. When was the last time you got up in the morning, early in the morning, and you just declared your love to God? In spite of the difficulties, uh, in spite of the the, the issues that exist in life. And you just, listen, just dismiss it all. Denounce it all, in fact. And just simply spend some time on your face before God. And just say, Father, I love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. I love your work in my life. I love what you're doing in my life. I love the transformation that's taking place in my life. How many Psalms you imagine King David devoted to expressing his love to God? Too, too many to count. In fact, if you read through the Psalms, we, we, it gives us a powerful, powerful look into the tenderness of King David's heart. How many of you read Psalms 119 before? Psalms 119. Read Psalms 119. It's absolutely incredible. The heart of King David. It was tender. He was imperfect, but he had a tender heart. His heart was in the right place. His mind was in the right place. Psalms 4, verse 7. Psalms 4, verse 7 reads, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. He was devoted to God. He was devoted to God. Psalms 23, verse 6. He was faithful. Psalms 23, 
verse 6. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. He was faithful to God. Psalms 119 verse 34. 119 verse 34 reads. It says, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. He was obedient. It's difficult to be obedient. I mean, it's difficult to be completely obedient. And sometimes, sometimes we make some really, really, really dumb mistakes, right? Or is that just me? Right? We, we all do. We, we make our mistakes. Is God vengeful? Is God seeking to kill us? Is God seeking to destroy us? No, in no way, shape, or form. That's the beauty of the love of God. It's the beauty of the grace of God. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God will never abandon us. But He does desire for you and I to be faithful, to be obedient. And the last one, Psalms 25, verse 1, verse 11. Psalms 25, you would think I would have put them in numerical order, right? So instead of bouncing around, excuse me, Michael, excuse me. I was talking to myself. Got another one who wants to preach. Psalms 25, verse 11, David was repentant. He says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Now, really quickly, what was the difference between King David and whenever he chose to express remorse to God from, say, King Saul? Wasn't King Saul, in fact, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, wasn't King Saul, in fact, trying to repent? Why was the kingdom ultimately taken from him? It says he intruded. The Bible says he intruded in the affairs of the priests. He did something he wasn't supposed to do. The instruction he received, we didn't read this passage, but the instruction that he received in 1 Samuel, listen, sit tight. I know the Armenites are on the other side of the Philistines at that point. I want you to sit still, be patient. I'll be back. And he was given seven days. I'll be back in seven days. And he got very, very, very impatient. The seventh day had come. And rather than him wait for the rest of the day, what did he do? He intruded on Samuel's responsibilities. He took an oxen and he slaughtered it. And then he was about to go off into battle, thinking that by his own measure, by his own account, that he was going to win the victory. King Samuel, I mean Samuel, the prophet Samuel showed up right there on that one particular day. He said, what? What have you done? What have you done? And that's when that, that fateful declaration was made over King Saul. And the Spirit of God departed from him on that day. The Spirit of God departed from him. But when you read the passage, it seems as if he was trying to repent. But the reality is, because we don't have a whole lot of time to make this declaration, is that his heart wasn't in the right place. That he actually re really didn't know God. Think about another passage uh, for this particular point. Another passage much earlier, or much later, because King David was selected king here. So it came up later, when King David was actually running from Saul. You remember that time when he went into the, when he went into the, 
not, 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 so, not the cave, but he went into, uh, I, I want to use the word temple. It wasn't a temple per se, but he went into this place where the priest was. He was hungry. His men were hungry. What did they do? They took bread. They took bread. And, and according to the law, the word of God, and the instructions that the priest received, they weren't, nobody was supposed to, other than the priest, consume that bread. So, so what was the difference? On one occasion, uh, a, a man was slain for intruding in that way. And on another occasion, in the case of King David, he was allowed to do that sort of thing. Now, I know it's too comprehensive to get into. Um, I, I really don't have the words uh, for sure at this point to even, even remotely talk about that. But in my mind, I think about, okay, but why? It, it seems as if there was a double standard um, with the Lord with regard to the way he treated certain people. And the reality is that when you consider the heart of the individual, when you consider the prophecies that were being fulfilled as well, there's a lot to consider, by the way. But with regard to King David and the bread and his men, he not only was the king, even though that wasn't justification for him to be allowed to consume the king, but think about his heart. Think about where he was with his heart. How he honored God. How he was serving God. He actually had, how many attempts did he have to slay King Saul while in the cave? Or on any other occasion? I don't know how many, Roy, how many attempts did he have? At, at least three or four attempts. He had to kill King Saul. What did he say? He said, touch not the anointed of God. He said, touch not the anointed of God. So it says a lot about where his heart was. Now I have to close. So, in many ways, we all have these qualities or these attributes. Even though as David, we are not perfect. Right? We're not perfect. But thankfully, we have the Spirit of God who is more like Jesus on a daily basis. That's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that God has given to us today. King David was able to accomplish the things that he did because of the Spirit of God. He had his heart in the right place. His mind was on the right place. But it was the Spirit of God who led him to ultimately fulfill God's purpose for his life. And in the same, the same thing applies to you and I here today. If you and I are going to fulfill God's purpose for our lives, we need the Spirit of God in our lives. But what becomes of us in spite of the Holy Spirit residing with us, if you and I choose to rebel against God? Or if you, if you and I commit a fault and we refuse to repent of our sins. What, what becomes of us? Are we, will we be able to fulfill God's will for our lives if we are unrepentant? Are we different today than David and King Saul were back then? No, not, not necessarily. Not in that regard. Not in, not in that regard. God wants his people to be faithful today. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. But he does expect us to be faithful, not to do things on our, on our own terms, according to our own understanding. Right? What is that? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Who know those verses? Come on, say it loud. Keep going. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Just one more. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. One last verse I want to read to you. Second, Second Timothy 2.15. It says, Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for being with us here this morning. Thank you so much for allowing us to study your word today as well. Thank you for the fact that it is your word that you use by your spirit within us to bring about this change that we desire in our lives. In many areas, Lord God, of our lives. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here today. We thank you so much for your presence in our hearts, for your presence in our souls, in our physical bodies, Lord God. And this, this anointing that we receive from you to be the believers that we're supposed to be every day that you bless us with life. Father, these things we pray, giving you glory and honor in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let us stand together as we sing this last song together.